When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone and welcome to Luke Law, a quick deep dive into a folklore topic where I share some of the stories from around the world that have piqued my interest. In this episode I wanted to tie in with the recent movie Prey. The movie itself is a lot of fun, and as I enjoyed working on Close Encounters and a Nope kind to tie in with Nope, I am today bringing you a Predator and Prey episode. We're going to look at a Comanche myth mentioned in the movie, then go on a haunting themed folklore journey around the world. Devourer of Naughty Children. Since this is an episode inspired by Prey, it more than makes sense to begin with the Comanche and their bogeyman, the Moopits. This figure of folklore gets very briefly mentioned in the movie as the protagonist struggles to describe what she has seen, and at its simplest, Pierre Moopits is a giant human-eating owl. Some descriptions get a little more unusual, with the Moopits described as an owl-feathered cannibal. To be a cannibal eating other humans would make them a human too although this could be a translation oddity. There are a lot of instances of nuance going out the window when a Native American language gets put through a Eurocentric ringer. Pia Moopitz lives on the south side of the Wichita Mountains, stealing away bad children and night to feast upon, with each meal growing only stronger. Should a child be unrepentantly naughty, big cannibal owl would come in the night carrying a burden basket over their shoulder with a long, sharp spike inside, awaiting the bad child they'd be thrown struggling within. With so many naughty children to grow ever stronger eating, there's no way to fight Pia Moopits. Your only choice is to behave so you don't become the next meal. A cultural bogeyman with such a strong identity is always fascinating when encountered. The Moopits has an important use in the daylight hours when it comes to getting children to behave themselves. Among the Comanche, children are viewed as a precious resource and aren't usually given harsh direct discipline, which could lead to overboisterousness. If children got too out of hand, it would usually be down to an older sister or relative slightly more removed to try and get them to calm down. And one tool to make use of would be warnings of the hungry big cannibal owl. All the members of the tribe would also at times dress up in a sheet to scare younger children into behaving. 
All of which leads to interesting speculation about how stories are used as moral guidance among all peoples around the world, but then has a worrying chicken and egg implication that the stories might be for the children's own good in more way than one, and there's something in a cave on the Wichita Mountains with a taste for ill-mannered children. Best behave for your own sake, kids. The Mimics watch us watching them. Okay. I don't like Mimics. Most listeners will notice. New listeners, hello! Mimics creep me out because it's worrying what they may be up to. They're hiding in plain sight in such a way they can get close to people. It strikes me as predatory and stories of Mimics can make my skin crawl. So, let me paint you a picture. You're out in the remote wilderness. Maybe you're a hunter, maybe you're a hiker, maybe you're really lost. Then, you spot a lone deer. Heck, it's just a deer. It's basically a rat on stilts, a timid prey animal that will avoid humans. Maybe there's a little feeling of magic here. Hey there, little fella. You don't need to be scared. And it isn't. It's not scared, or even a little timid at all, as you blithely wander over to it. Something is off. It looks you square in the eyes, something which occurs to you shouldn't be possible, as don't deer have their eyes on the sides of their head? It smiles a big toothy grin, which you're reasonably sure a deer can't do, then stands up on two legs. Oh, those front hooves are, in fact, claws. Whatever this thing is, it's not the one running away. You take a moment to wonder about the hundreds of people who vanish in the wilderness each year, and how many of them might have final moments exactly like this one. You have just encountered a not-deer. The not-deer is a cryptid best known from the Appalachian Mountains, but has had sightings all across the North America anywhere it's a remote part of nature you may find a deer. There's a somewhat grim acceptance of them in certain areas. You can report seeing something weird to a local, and all you'll get is a shrug and a helpful comment, yep, that was a not-deer. They do what they say in a tin, really. It looks like a deer. It isn't. The description I just gave is an amalgam of multiple not-deer traits you may see only one of. Add to that they may be twitchy and weird, like that a local fauna you might find chilling around Silent Hill, and they can be mixed in with herds of deer which can't seem to recognise the stranger pretending to be one of them in their midst. While it may only have one of the symptoms of a not-deer, could be it's just twitchy or some facial features may be off, when the rest of the deer run away, you'll be left with the not-deer stirring you down, daring you to try something. A not-deer is not a skinwalker or other shapeshifter, as they don't seem to have any obvious ulterior motive beyond being a freaky imitation. Other figures of folklore pretending to be deer tend to be better at it too, much more convincingly disguised. After some initial confusion, a not-deer should be pretty clearly not a deer. There's a theory that a not-deer is a regular deer that has a case of chronic wasting disease. CWD can really mess a deer up, leaving them unafraid of humans and physically altered, especially advanced cases. But then there's the alarming alternative that it's some sort of cryptid chilling out, not quite managing to be a convincing copy of a deer. What is it doing? Why is it weird? Why isn't it afraid of us? <sighs> Mimics. <sighs> Hello everyone, just taking a quick break to highlight something about the movie Prey. It got quite a lot of production value out of being so immersed in the Comanche culture, and when you're caught up in the fun you may overlook something obvious. It does bear remembering that it is a real life still existing culture, and not just some fantasy setting. 
If you enjoyed how the story was told this way, definitely check out the Comanche Museum. In person if you're ever in the area, or otherwise pop over to their website. There's a lot more about their culture to explore out there. More monster stories too if you enjoyed hearing about the Moopits. Off the soapbox now, and back to the show. Get ready to run. Across the north of Europe has an interesting and highly variable shared folklore story that has spread pretty far. Not least of all throughout pop culture, so I expect everyone to have at least heard of this one. The Wild Hunt. Well, I say D. It may well be A Wild Hunt, a tradition that many a god and monster may share. Around winter? any time from its starting, ending, or around Yule at the turning point of the darkest times, it may be possible to hear the sounds of a hound-led hunt when it should otherwise not be possible. In the dark, in the cold, maybe up in the sky, possibly just somewhere it should not be possible for a mortal to lead a chase and survive, winter storms are especially likely to hold a wild hunt. If a wild hunt rides, it can vary wildly from region to region. Most commonly it seems to be the souls of the dead riding out, baying hellhounds leading the charge, although if you're up in the British Isles it may be a fairy host. A wild hunt popping up in Germany has a high chance of werewolves, although in these circumstances they don't seem to attack people and instead raid homes for food and beer to run off with. Sometimes there'll be a specific victim being chased, anything from an innocent woman to an outcast demon, quite often someone guilty of unpunished crimes or broken oaths. Sometimes the Wild Hunt will be chasing the Wild Hunt, as spectral figures clash together, only pausing to attack bystanders foolish enough to get too close to the battle. The Wild Hunt will tend to have a noteworthy leader. Older gods and goddesses such as Berkta, Holder, or Hearn the Hunter. Heroes of myth or historical figures may be seen. King Arthur, Wild Edric, the trickster hero Gideon, or Finn MacCool. Charlemagne, Frederick Barbarossa, or even Sir Francis Drake have been reported as leading a wild hunt at times. Historical figures may just be enjoying a special day release from beyond the grave, or could be cursed due to their misdeeds in life. One standout odd case is Hans van Halkenberg. Van Halkenberg loved hunting more than anything else, and was said to have successfully killed a boar during his last living hunt, only to go and stand on the tusk of the porcine corpse, promptly poisoning himself. So, basically a draw there. Good revenge job, that piggy. On his deathbed, Hans rejected heaven as he wanted to keep on hunting. Some would say curse to continue his brutal hobby, never actually getting to move on and be with God in the hereafter. Although, for his part, von Hackenberg seemed okay with the eternal sport situation. A wild hunt can even be from the Christian hell led by Herod, Cain, or the devil himself. I would expect this to be one of the wild hunts to really avoid. Deities and demigods linked to the dead are prominent in Tales of the Wild Hunt. Gwyn ap Nud, Welsh Lord of the Dead, Mesne de Heliquin, a goddess of death from the region that is now northern France, I suppose Lucifer counts towards this one too. One pagan god is above and beyond the most common in Tales of the Wild Hunt though, and this is Wotan, or Odin, here firmly in his aspect as one of the gods of the afterlife, riding out from Valhalla with his Ainayar. While always being dangerous if crossed, when out on a wild hunt, Odin is in his most brutal aspect. Whatever wild hunt you get, the consensus is not to be out at all if you can, and keep your head down if they're passing by. Diving on the floor is especially recommended if it was Odin riding out, as the yoke on his oxen-driven chariot has a notorious reputation for taking the heads off of the unwary. The wild hunt isn't anything a mere mortal should be messing with. When one passes by, should you be foolish enough to be out, you're a rabbit in the headlights. 
All you can do is freeze and hope the car passes overhead without a wheel clipping you. Anyone unfortunate enough to be caught up in the wild hunt can end up dead, chased, or conscripted to join as a hunter who may then end up returning to their new home in the underworld at the end of the chase. To encounter one of these wild hunts is not only something you may not survive, they tend to be more likely just before times of disaster, heralding great wars, famines, or times of plague. This turned out to be an impressively messy segment. There is a lot going on with the tales of the wild hunt. This is merely the Cliff Notes edition. Wild hunts extend across Europe and into Slavic countries, and on top of the already impressive list of possible figureheads, you can also get special Yule monster versions led by figures like Krampus, giving an extra festive portent of the apocalypse you may not even survive to see should the hunt catch you. This is such a rich vein of folklore, individual hunt stories may yet turn up in future episodes for a more focused exploration. Don't trust strange women in the dark. To end today's exploration of predator and prey, let's head over to Japan for a yokai with a taste for human flesh. Travelers at night on the mountain roads between Mei and Wakiyam prefectures have something more to fear than a fall in the dark or a bandit attack. There's something out there stalking the pathways the unwary may use, especially young men. Should you be traveling alone at night, where you really should know better not to, there may be something hungry watching you come too close. Sadly, the overconfidence of youth here will directly imperil the favorite food of this yokai. What appears to be a young woman, late teens, not yet quite twenty, will appear from the dark, unnaturally pale, but in a way that you could convince yourself may only be makeup. They will flirt and flatter as they come closer. They will spin a tale of having lost their light and ask the victim if they can please borrow their lantern. She's a good-looking woman who has interested you in the most alluring possible way, so why not be chivalrous and give her the light? You can try your luck in offering to escort her home. She's so obviously friendly and clearly interested in that way. So the poor fool will then hand over the lantern, which with a laugh the yokai will extinguish. In the dark, she'll be powerful. The young man will be helpless. She'll bite down on her meal, latching on with an unbreakable grip, and suck out all the meat from the unsuspecting fool who was just hunted by the Nikusui. Just skin and bones will be found left lying on the roadside after dawn breaks, snuffed out light nearby the remains. Nikusui roughly means meat sucker. You may actually have heard the name in reference to certain Japanese meat dishes. Nikusui the yokai is a worrying, seductive kind of vampire who goes a fur brutal step further than mere bloodsucking. It seems as though they cannot attack unless cloaked in darkness, so the most common counter to them is to make sure you have a spare light with you if you find yourself with no choice but to cross their territory at night. This way you can, in good conscience, offer a light to what may be a stranger in need, and still not get your meat sucked out, unless you're really dumb and fall for an Oops, drop this lantern. Can I have the other one? Gambit. Carrying smouldering coals can also help keep a traveller safe too, as throwing them at a Nikusui can drive them away. This has the disadvantage of also driving away a traveller in distress too, though, so it may be better form to stick with the two light technique. If there are slim pickings on the roads at night, the Nikusui may attempt to break into the bedrooms of young men with promises of sex, seducing her victim into extinguishing all lights in the room so she can come in and have her way with them. The good news is you may get sex. The bad news is it will be to weaken you ahead of the Nikusui taking their time to enjoy sucking all the meat out of your body. The worst news is that some tales may tell of what the Nikusui may really look like behind their teenage seductress disguises. So the story goes, a hunter named Genzo was out doing his thing at Mount Hatanashi at night. This seems less stupid when you realise he was carrying a special blessed bullet for his hunting rifle, 
with a prayer to the Amida Buddha inscribed on it as a backup plan for his supernatural shenanigans. Without warning, a beautiful woman, only 18 or 19 years old, appeared out of the dark, giving a creepy laugh after startling him and asking if she could borrow Genzo's light off of him. Being in Nikusui territory at night with a surprise creepy beauty, Genzo decided something was up and loaded the blessed bullet to threaten her with. She immediately fled, which is a rational response when a rifle is pointed at you, so still may have only been an unfortunate traveller who just got one hell of a firearms-related fright. Except for what happened a short time later. Having wisely given up on nighttime hunting in a notorious yokai haunt, Genzo had his rifle ready with his holy bullet as he retreated for shelter, which saved his life as a screeching monster over six metres tall charged him out of the darkness. Whether skill, luck, or the divine providence of the Buddha watching over a dumb young man, the bullet hit the monster dead on, giving Genzo the chance to illuminate the true form of a Nikusui with the lantern he didn't surrender before. The giant, unnatural thing looked like a bleached white skeleton covered in loose folds of skin. There's no meat on the meat sucker, just loose, pasty white flesh on a terrifying giant. A grotesque, animate version of what it would leave the remains of its victim. If you absolutely must travel the mountains between Mei and Wakiyam, make sure you have at least one backup light and feel free not to fall for an incredibly obvious seduction act. It's really not worth pushing your luck, especially if you have the misfortune of crossing paths with a Nikusui who wants to take their time to savour their meal. That's all for this topic. For now, anyway, all sorts of assorted monstrosities enjoy hunting humans. If you haven't had the chance to see it yet, I do recommend watching Prey, and you can now go in armed with context for what the Muppets is. It was a weirdly hard to research story even though with multiple spellings and a name, as the internet either spat out a load of unrelated Prey articles or thought I had spelled Muppets wrong. Worth the extra effort for such an interesting bogeyman though. Luke Law is a Ghost Story Guys production. If you do want to contact me, there's the show's dedicated email, lukelawgsg at gmail.com, and the general show email, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Both myself and the main show are really easy to find on Facebook and Twitter if you want to make day-to-day -day contact, as well as a very active Instagram a lot of the community gets involved with. If you want to support the show directly, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. We do have Luke Law merchandise available at the Ghost Story Guys online store. Feel very free to show off any you get online. Just recently we've begun a push to promote Luke Law more, and a dedicated Facebook group for the show is now live if you want to come and join us over there. As ever though, the absolute best thing anyone can do to support the show is to give it a listen. Share this around if you think you may know someone who may be interested, leave a review if you get the chance to help Signal boost me, and most of all, I simply hope you enjoy what I'm doing here. Goodbye for now.